It's a cold and inhospitable day in State College. It's a hard day made for hard people. You don't come to homecoming against UMass unless you, if you like football. You come to homecoming against UMass if you need football. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He's Aeneas Hawkins. We need football. We're outside the Bryce Jordan Center talking to you about Penn State and their upcoming game. The second half of the season starts right now. This is a very important game for the Nittany Lions. The weather today is what you expected all week long. It is cold. It is rainy. 46 degrees, constant rain, going to be constant rain, maybe an inch by the end of tonight. Uh, but the Nittany Lions have practiced for this. They've prepared for this all week. The weather forecast brought to you by Center Care. In need of rehab after hospitalization or injury, you have your choice in your rehab provider. Set and meet your therapy goals with the Center Care Rehabilitation Team. Call 814-278-6000 online at centercare.org. Welcome to everybody listening on uh, the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel, also on 99.5 The Bus in State College. Wherever you are in the world, maybe you're listening on the stream of The Bus. We're here to bring you Penn State football. Uh, Aeneas. How you doing today? How you feeling for homecoming? Well, I'll start off with a quote here today by the great Archer Hawkins Jr., my dad. He told me when I was a young man that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. This weather is a little bit tough, but it is late October. We're in the second half of the season, like you said. And if you're Penn State and you're talking about a playoff push and competing for a Big Ten championship, it's got to continue today. There are a lot of things that continue to need to be buttoned up heading into an Ohio State matchup in two weeks, not to look too far ahead, as I'm sure <laughs> nobody else is doing. Nope. Uh, but excited to be here homecoming week. It's a great time to be at Penn State. Uh, so let's talk about the, the rain. Let's address the, uh, the atmosphere of the game, which is pretty cold, pretty sleepy. People are here, though. Like, I want to make sure that everyone understands. Uh, maybe the, not the crowds that we've had before, but there is still a good number of people here uh, a couple hours before kickoff. For the players on the field, rain isn't, like, today a steady rain. This is not a hurricane. This is just a regular rainy day. What sort of effect does that have on you as a football player? Is it extra stretching to get warmed up? What, what are you doing differently for a day like today? Yeah, I, I would say the biggest thing is if you're not a guy who's playing in every single drive, if you're a rotational piece, if you're in a situation like Tyler Elson and Kobe King, for example, where you're doing a lot of rotating, you got to stay warm on the sidelines, more time on the bike, staying loose, uh, stretching, and just doing some preventative things to, to stay away from injury when it starts getting chilly like this and prevent your muscles from tightening up. But I'll tell you what, it's business as usual. These guys prepare all year long. Uh, Coach Franklin brings those water guns out at practice, get some wet ball work. Uh, it doesn't change too much with the technology on the sidelines. Really, it can be like a sauna when it gets cold. They got furnaces. They got all kinds of stuff. I was going to say, do you have those heated benches? Uh, you see heated in NFL benches, games? Uh, all of it, all nice. of it. I'll tell you what. So they got to find a way to get it done regardless of this weather. Um, so that's another thing I was wondering. We've seen James Franklin, I think, one thing I – Maybe it's because it has been very rainy in the past. We have seen the game plan maybe alter a little bit from what I would have expected coming in. Do you think that's a reality for today? Is this something where you're going to try and lean on the ground game with uh, with as the all of the different factors that go into passing and what we'll get to later in the show? Yeah, I think no matter who you have a quarterback, even when you got a guy like Drew Aller, when it starts raining like this, when it gets a little wet outside, it's tougher to push that ball down the field and make you know throw the ball down the field, stretch the stretch the entire field with the wide receivers and the tight ends and continue to do those things so yeah you know we talk all year long about the run game and the importance of developing it and making sure that it's ready to go a uh, part of the reason is because you know we're in central pennsylvania yep. and it gets cold it gets rainy and it gets wet you better be able to run the ball when it counts uh another thing that we we've seen in the past and i don't want to keep bringing all these things up but it, it's it's umass we're going to talk about a couple of things outside of maybe the matchup today uh one of the things we've seen i think from nick singleton is um fumbles that has been an issue for him, especially in a similar game last year in the rain, had a lot of fumbles against Northwestern. Is that something you're looking at today, or are you expecting, you know, that he's he's had one fumble, uh, I think, this season that has been uh, turned over? 
is that something you look from him? Is that part of his game that you think is a uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that is that a part of his game or is that just a, a circumstantial thing? Uh, it's a little bit of both. He's a young running back. Last year, true freshman, obviously. We all remember the Northwestern game and all the fumbles that everybody was committing. We, we've seen Singleton continue to fumble here and there, but he's a guy that's got to continue to develop and mature. It is circumstantial. It's wet outside, but there's no excuse. Coach Franklin says it best. The ball is the program. If you consider yourself a great running back or a great offense, you better find ways to take care of the football. Are you? Were you a gloves guy? Oh, yeah. I was a gloves guy, but I wasn't playing receiver. It's interesting. Yeah. When it gets rainy out, those gloves can get a little bit slick on you, but yeah. I'm all about keeping hands warm. Um, so gloves were always on regardless. <laughs> you, need, I, you need to have those uh, those fingers nice and dexterous so they don't get caught anywhere, right? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You put those gloves that cause, like, you see some crazy catches now in football, in NFL, in college, and guys are great. I don't want to take anything away from receivers because if you got 10 in chance, you can palm the football, you can palm the football. But they'd certainly help. And then in the rain, you see guys that are normally sure-handed, uh, maybe not as sure-handed. So with the receivers, is that something that you're looking at today? Yeah, certainly, man. you got to take those gloves off sometimes when it gets rainy like this. Uh, and it can make it challenging. Those gloves these days, man, are like, you know, they, they ban stick them, but these gloves keep getting better and better every year. You get a new pair of gloves, man, those things stick. So you can definitely get used to catching without those things. That's why uh, Franklin and Yersis really emphasize when they get on those jugs machines after practices, doing them without the gloves. Do it without them because if you can do it without them, you can do them with them on you. Um, and today is a day where you're probably – not gonna get to wear them for four quarters <laughs> you might have to have a couple pair like have a, have a couple pairs stashed in that sauna you got on the no sideline. doubt no doubt <laughs> uh so what are you looking for in this game let's let's talk about penn state versus umass we'll get in dig into some of the things your key matchups coming later in the show but what are you looking for what are the things that interest you in a game where i think penn state fans confident they're going to win the weather making some people nervous but nobody is concerned that penn state is going to lose this game so how give us a broad view of what you're thinking progress looks like this week yeah i think the first step of progress is continuing to find ways to run the football and be more effective at doing so uh, another thing that I tell you is is that when you know the offense is on the field find a ways to get explosive plays even though uh, it is rainy outside it's something that obviously has been talked about all week long uh, and it's something that has to continue today the next thing I'll tell you is again playing Ohio State in a week you know, you don't want to put too much on film, and maybe you put some things on film that aren't really realistic for what you want to run offensively. I want to ask, I want to stop you right there, because that has yep. been the thing I've been wondering all week. Like, this game very much is informed by the next one. It yes. has been for two weeks now. Are you a guy that says, show them something they haven't seen before, so now they only have a week to practice for it? Or are you, show them nothing, do the T formation all day, run 70 times and get out of here? Yeah, I think you keep the, the playbook pretty fundamental for the most part. But like you said, you do want to put a couple things on film that maybe you haven't shown before and maybe run them a couple times. You want to give a defense like Ohio State as much to prepare for as possible to take away from really what you may want to run next week. We'll be talking about Ohio State later in the show, by the way, because uh, we'll get to around the Big Ten later. That's going to be a pivotal thing to see. You know, Mecca Buka, he didn't make the trip uh, for the game today. Uh, who are they playing this week? They're, uh, at, they're, at, they're at Purdue. At Purdue, yes. Yeah. So, you know, we're not talking about Ohio State, guys. We're just talking <laughs> about Ohio State, you know, kind of biting around the edges of that conversation. A uh, couple more things here to get off the top of the show. Um, with With the homecoming crowd and with the atmosphere today, Generations of Greatness uniforms on the oh, field. There's man. a couple of things going on today that might uh, entice you. I, I know some friends that are coming in for this game specifically for the homecoming game. Um, do you ever – did you get to wear those uniforms? Did, the what you, yes, I what did. What did you think of them? I love them. I love them. It's always fun walking to the locker room and seeing the Generation of Greatness uniforms. They're a, they're a favorite amongst the players. I, I love the details that they throw on there. The field having the diamonds on them. I, I think it's a great event all around. It's something that the players look, look forward to. 
Yeah, it's, I love the throwback uh, element of this game. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I think it's going to look, even with the rain, it's going to look really good on television. We've talked about this before. You have an awesome grounds crew. Yep. And, uh, Best I in the country. I wouldn't expect there to be any issue with the footing or with, with the surface today. This There hasn't been torrential rain. It's been, you know, I live here in State College, maybe a little bit outside of town, but, like, up here on the hill it's a little windy. You know, with Beaver Stadium up here on the top of the hill at State College, uh, the campus, if you've never been, is built on a, on a hill. And they, you know, when you take all the trees off of the top of a hill and you put a giant structure, it gets a little bit windy. So maybe wind is a factor partially today, but um, the the ground should be really good. It should be a, a, I wouldn't say a fast track, but a good track for the Nittany Lions. And for a UMass team that likes to throw the football, like they've got a couple of d- dangerous players, legitimately good football players that James Franklin highlighted earlier in the week during his weekly press conference. Um, so that's going to be an interesting thing to see how the, all of this affects their game plan and how maybe that backs them into a corner. Again, we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. John Garland here on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube stream says, your hat, uh, like your hat, T. Frank, would look good driving in an MG sports car. I don't know exactly what an MG sports car is, but yes, if you're if you're watching here on the stream, <laughs> I am your ship captain today for this rainy barge that we're taking through all the way up until uh, the Penn State uh, pregame show with uh, Steve Jones and Jack Ham. That's coming up in just a little bit, but we got more football to talk about next on the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Penn State Football Tailgate Show. True or false? <laughs> Needlessly dramatic. We're going to get to our the imaging you've done. That was certainly one of them. Congratulations. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, we're we're always trying new things, expanding our tool belt, and now uh, you know AI robot voices part of part of what we're doing. Okay. So let's get to some of the questions we have here in the chat for our true or false start there. Xander Sechrist asks, true or false, Penn State will flip one or more recruit in the 24 class. Uh, Fitz, coming to you, true or false? I'm I'm going true all the way. Like this is, I mean, you look back on past years and there are guys that pop out of nowhere. There are guys that they've been recruiting all the time. Um, but to say one or to, to put that over under at 0.5, like that's, I don't want to say a gimme because Ryan and I, you know, our gambling has been yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think uh, Penn State will do that. We talked about some guys that Penn State's trying to flip, and there, and I think there are guys that that Penn State could flip right now. A um, couple of couple of them were at the uh, the Iowa game, but like you're you're still shooting high. Like this is what you're doing. You're not sort of coming down and changing your evaluations to get guys in the class. But yeah, I think that absolutely they'll they'll end up flipping somebody, whether that's out of nowhere or whether that's a guy that we. You know, I've highlighted on uh, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Ryan, true or false? For sure. Absolutely true. Uh, as Sean said, are they going to get the 30? No, I, I'd be surprised. But they 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 have the wiggle room to to add some guys. And and when you're flipping guys, it's because they're very, you know, they're important recruits uh, late late in the cycle. So there's there's certainly some guys out there, anybody who who pays attention to, to what Sean and I write, you know, know, know who those names are. Uh, but there's there's a there's a handful of guys that they're still pushing hard for, and you know I could see a couple official visits uh, coming up here. Maybe not, maybe some during the week uh, or excuse me during the season. We'll see about that Michigan game, uh, but certainly in December. I mean, I feel like you know we we didn't we didn't really kind of hit on it earlier, but the once the season wraps up, there's a couple weeks there in December where they can host some official visitors. Uh, so certainly some guys committed elsewhere. I could see popping up on campus. I think, I think I think one is is pretty likely and i wouldn't even be shocked if it's two 
Let's get to our next question here from Kreiner. Hey, and I real quick, just just sure. for numbers sake, they flipped chimney from I mean, I mean, some of these guys are guys that stepped off of their commitments, but they flipped chimney Ono from Old Dominion last year, Kevion Keys uh, from uh, North Carolina and Mason Robinson from Northwestern. And all those came after this point in time in terms of where we're talking. So like those guys names will pop up. Uh, very good. That That's uh, that's awesome information to add on there as far as like what to expect that over under one or more i mean when you put it that way that's interesting uh kreiner says true or false penn State will be more aggressive in the portal this year than last ryan i'll come to you first on this one flip it up true or false i think they're always aggressive it's just kind of lining up the guys that fit them incredibly important uh on the field off the field everything guys that fit penn state the portal isn't always where you find those guys right they're, they're, so they're selective but I, I, I guess I got to say true. I mean, they're always aggressive. I don't know. I'm Thomas Frank Carr, and these are your Penn State practice highlights from Blue White Illustrated. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss what's going on each week with the Nittany Lions as we give you an inside look at what's going on before the game. It's homecoming week for Penn State football, and while UMass isn't the most inspiring opponent, there are important things to learn this weekend. The first and main thing we'll focus on this week is the health of critical offensive contributors heading into the second half of the 2023 season. Wide receiver Trey Wallace has been at practice for weeks now, but hasn't been a factor in the last several games. Last week, head coach James Franklin said he tweaked his original injury before Northwestern, or else he would have been in that game. Wallace's presence in the passing game isn't critical this weekend, but shaking off the rust from a long absence on Saturdays would help the team before it takes on Ohio State next week. Offensive coordinator Mike Yersich and Franklin both said that passing cohesiveness is a big deal, and Wallace is a huge part of that. Similarly, but less noticeable, is the presence of Katron Allen. Like Wallace, Allen went through practice last week after leaving the game against Northwestern in the first half, not returning. Allen's presence was felt in the second half, as Nick Singleton slogged alone through a frustrating day that netted him less than four yards per carry. Allen is a central piece of the puzzle, and a great compliment to Singleton, who is essential for this team's success down the stretch. While we won't know what happened, it does seem like he's on pace to play this upcoming weekend. Lastly, and most importantly, guard J.B. Nelson. Franklin was tight-lipped about his status for the past two weeks, so his availability and health going forward are very unclear. While Nelson is one player, the left guard position as a whole has been hit by injury once again. Former starter Landon Tangwall is already lost for the year and his career with an injury. If Nelson is unavailable to play for an extended period of time, it'll be on to redshirt freshman Vega Yuwane. While Yuwane is a very talented player, the team wasn't expecting to rely on him as a full-time starter this year. Both his talent and his inexperience were on display against Northwestern in the last game. From a team standpoint, the offensive passing game has relied on a steady diet of good situations to throw from. If the team's ability to run the ball is hampered with the loss of Nelson, more falls on the shoulders of quarterback Drew Aller, meaning Wallace's presence is that much more important. That's it for today's Penn State Practice Highlights. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. The Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships celebrate more than 40 years of service to the community. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation needs. Home of the $1,000 lowest price guarantee with 19 locations throughout Pennsylvania. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He is Aeneas Hawkins, former Penn State defensive tackle. We're talking about Penn State versus UMass. And Aeneas, I'm doing it. 
I'm calling an audible. We're not talking about the offense. Here We're we not go. talking about explosive plays. Why has the Penn State defense been so dominant for the last three weeks? Because you're seeing the defensive line and the secondary play together and play together at a high level. The defensive line has been able to obviously create all kinds of pressure on quarterbacks all season long. TFL and running backs in the backfield and being more consistent in the run game. We've seen Hakeem Beeman, Zane Durant off of that Northwestern game having a, a career day out there. Yeah. We're seeing more guys step up, more guys being able to rotate in up front that are able to play at a high level. And it's helping the secondary that, to be honest, doesn't need a lot of help with Kalen King yeah. and Keaton Ellis and the gang back there but they're playing together and they're doing it at a consistent rate how, how does that work uh, you know I'm skipping ahead a little bit in what I wanted to talk about but I want to get to that of like I don't know that we've seen the defensive secondary been tested this year that the offenses they face they have dominated and that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to dominate the teams you're supposed to dominate you can't take anything away from doing that but they haven't faced a good quarterback, and you know, I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off. I don't think Tyshawn Fomacon is a good quarterback today either. Watching him on film, I think that they can get a lot of interceptions if they can catch the football today. Are you concerned about what's going to happen next week? Of Have we seen the full force of knowing everything we need to know about the Penn State defense? Not that we're looking ahead of today. We're just looking ahead of today once again. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. You know, obviously Ohio State is a step up in competition. I don't think Kyle McCord is C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields by any means, no. but he will be the best quarterback that they've played up to this point. Uh, and their offense still does have some weapons. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr., maybe Travion Henderson coming back from injury. There are still some threats to worry about, and there are still things that could be cleaned up. Uh, in some ways, that defense hasn't been tested. You've seen the defensive line dominate so much that really quarterbacks don't even have time to push the field when they want to. Uh, obviously, today should be more of the same. They should get home. Uh, with the rain, with the elements, uh, you would expect to see a lot of run game, but Massachusetts isn't coming in here and going to run the ball 40 yeah. times and try to win the game. They're going to try to throw it around still and give themselves the best chance to win. Uh, today is another opportunity to continue to button those things up before facing Ohio State. So what is the – what have you seen from the – you mentioned Zane Duran, um, the defensive tackles. Have you seen progress from them? And, and what's the next step? We talk about they've dominated these teams the last couple of weeks. Well, what's the next step beyond that? Like, is there another level for this front, se front seven to go to? Because I think that's really what we've been focusing on in terms of areas that have significant er potential for growth early in the year. Yeah, there's still some things that they can clean up. Uh, one thing that's helped the D-tackles win is all the stunts and pressures that they do run. They're moving from B-gap to the A-gap and jumping back and forth and making it tough for an offensive line to not only make pre-snap decisions, but then adjust on the fly when the ball is finally snapped. So one area that I think they can continue to get better is continuing to be stout in the run game when they're not stunning. Um, I think that's an area that we kind of identified early in the year. They've continued to get better at it. Zane Durant's obviously come on. Hakeem Beam is doing some good things. Devon Elise is another guy who's playing well. I'd like to see take another step, though. You don't have a P.J. Mustafer anymore. People have talked about it already. Who is going to be the enforcer in the middle? And we're going to find out next week. So this is, this is one of the areas where I, I can, I'm going to hammer this home. Like, this isn't false progress, right? These guys are getting better at the specific details of their job. It's not just that they're facing bad opponents and beating them. They're doing it the way they're supposed to, right? Yes. I remember the West Virginia game. There were, there were some concerns about the defense with the quarterback being yeah. able to roll out, some explosive runs happening. We went back and looked at the film. Almost every single one of those explosive plays that the West Virginia uh, was able to go ahead and generate was when guys were out of their gaps. They weren't getting to their assignments and being gap sound uh, 
in that front seven. We've seen them button that up more and more each week, and that's why now they're being so dominant. This defense is so good that unless they beat themselves, you're going to have a tough time beating them. One of the things that we talked about uh, when we were watching film is it's so much easier to understand what the play call was when it's run correctly. And that's one thing I've appreciated over the last couple of weeks is when we do our film studies, and I do my film study over bluewhiteillustrated.com in T. Frank's film room, like, I can actually see what's going on in the front seven now. It doesn't look like pure chaos because they're hitting their marks, and it looks it looks really impressive. Like, not only is this defense good, and are they getting better at it, there is a certain amount of this defense, when it hums, is incredibly impressive. Um, and I don't want to keep harping on this, but, like, this is for real, right? These guys seem like we talk about this team, and kind of stepping back to the reason I'm asking this. We talk about the offense, we talk about where they can improve, the defense where they can improve, because this group feels like it genuinely has that opportunity to be a college football playoff team, and it's not like the, the if. You're not playing the if game, like yep. if X, Y, and Z happens. These are realistic things that if they clean up, it feels like this is the team that can push for playoff contention. It, and, and do you think they're on the track to do that from what you've seen? through the first half of the season. Certainly, and it starts with the talent that they have in that unit. I, I look at the entire defense, and there's maybe one, two guys that I'm not sure will get an opportunity on Sundays, but you look at the ones and the twos really across the board, it's not that unrealistic to see almost every single one of them getting that type of shot to go play professionally. I mean, I have not been a part of a defense or seen a defense at Penn State in recent history that is that talented. And another thing I want to mention, you get Manny Diaz back. Terry Smith's been here for 100 years. Yeah. Poindexter. There's a lot of returning coaching, uh, and what that has allowed is for the guys on that defense to be more comfortable with the strategies and with the blitzes and all the different things yeah. that they're going to run. They're so comfortable in that system, and it's allowed them to play faster this year. Something you said to me, and I want to I understand why. You said this group is uh, of defensive ends is even better than you thought. What have they done that surprised you in a positive sense? Because I agree with you, and I can't really pinpoint it. Like, What have they done that has been so impressive uh, as, a, as, a, as a collective? Well, the, the first thing that jumps out to me is the depth in that room. We talked about it preseason as something that could be a strength of this team, but you're seeing a mean, a mean Vanover being as disruptive, if not more disruptive, than Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson. Yeah. Deny Dennis Sutton is a guy who's very much Odafe Owe talent-wise and has an ability and a ceiling Ooh. that is very, very high. Yeah, I said it. He has Ooh. Odafe Owe potential. Wow. There's a lot of talent in that group, and what they have been able to do because of that depth is rotate guys and keep them fresh. Playing defensive end is a lot like being a sprinter. You go three snaps, then you got a guy coming in with fresh legs who's going to take off on the line of scrimmage and make pressure happen. It's a good thing to have. What have you seen from the third down package when they put Chop Robinson over the A-gap? How much is that a difference-making decision by Manny Diaz? And, and I guess, like, were you surprised that they used it uh, as early in the season? Because that could be one of those uh, adjustments, one of those wrinkles, one of those things you save for later in the year. They used it to completely shut down Iowa. But at the same time, like, Maybe they didn't need it. Like, how has that changed the third down look for you? Yeah, you want to have some balance, like you said, where you don't want to show too much too early. But at the same time, you want to get Chop Robinson, a guy who's not rushing over A-gaps, uh, and Abdul Carter, who maybe come down on the center uh, and rushing that A-gap. It's something they don't do consistently. Yeah. But I'll tell you, as an offense, as a guy who's heard the responses of centers when a guy like Chop lines up <laughs> over him, you know, they're not used to seeing athletes like that. They're yeah. used to seeing the Aeneas Hawkins and the Devon Elise, the 310-pound guys you, who may not have as much wiggle. Listen, no, 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 no. I watched your huddle highlights. You had some quicks. <laughs> you were in an athletic uh, defensive tackle. That, that means a lot. I was an athletic defensive tackle Ten years ago, never as athletic <laughs> as Chop Robinson. And we don't have to pretend, but I appreciate it. Yeah, and so the other thing that I think is a really uh, interesting thing about that is last year they used Abdul Carter through the A-gap to attack some running backs, right? Some of the things they did. Now you've got two guys. 
You've got two guys in the A-gap, and going yep. up against a lot of teams, maybe they don't have the strongest center in the world. I think that that provides so much relief to the edge players. And the way that uh, – this is, I guess, my point of talking about this is you might not see the numbers from Chop Robinson. He is having a massive effect on the scheme. He is a guy that is absorbing blocks. He's absorbing attention and allowing other guys – we talk about Mean Van or everybody else to feast. How much of a – how much of a in, – in an important year for Chop where we talk about him preseason as a first-round draft pick and he's doing a lot of stuff for the team. He's taking a lot of, uh, you know, of the dirty work. How much – is that a hard thing for guys to do? And how much do they really like feel like I, 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 you have to really buy into that? Yeah, well, it's 2023, and young people, you know, regardless of the era, have been selfish for a long time, and it's hard <laughs> yeah. for them to see a bigger picture, right? Uh, yeah. But I think it's a testament to Coach Franklin and the culture that he's established. When your best player is willing to do a bunch of different things schematically for the greater good of the defense, it tells me a lot about the type of team you have and the type of leader that Chop Robinson is. And to be frank, although it may affect Chop's numbers, if he were just to line up in a five technique or at that typical end spot like he normally would, it's putting a lot of different things on film that NFL teams are going to see it's very apparent the effect he's having even if he's not filling up the stat sheet and again I hate to bring Oway up again but I remember that 2020 season no sacks that was what people wanted to talk about yep. every year yep. or every uh, every time they brought him up in that draft process but he was having such a big effect in the run in the pass game that he still was a first round draft pick and I think Chop's having a similar year. Stephen Light over on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. He's here with us. He's donating the channel. I love Stephen. He's here every week, even if he's not literally here like he was last time in person. He is a major part of what we do here. Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, and to be T. Frank, uh, earlier this week, Penn State football went viral. Um, and if you noticed up in the corner of that uh, video that had circulated the Internet, you might have seen the Blue White Illustrated YouTube logo. Just saying we provided our little piece of, uh, of what happened this week. And that is because we're going to talk about this. There's going to be some responses. We're going to tell the full story of what happened with James Franklin and Corey Geiger um, on our next segment, which is coming up right now, and that is This Week in Penn State Football, brought to you by Bobby Ray Hall Lexus in Lewistown. We need you to throw the ball deep no matter what. Just take a shot. Don't. Don't overthink it. But never. Like, I'm like, my skin is curling when you say just drop back and chuck it deep no matter what. Like, you're speaking Japanese. Like, like we, we have never done that. Just throw the ball up and maybe he'll be open and maybe he'll catch. Like, my skin is like, like, my, I'm, my, I'm, like you're making me uncomfortable. You got to stay within yourself, stay within the system, and understand there's going to be opportunities for us to create opportunities in the big for explosive plays, but there's also going to be a time we just got to grind it out. We got we call them dirty runs where it's going to be four yards. It may be eight yards. It may be 19 yards. Eventually, the 70-yard running will come. And how you talk about it is, is different than how we talk about it and hopefully how he sees himself. I hope he's views himself as a, as a starter and is preparing as a starter. So I think at first, Shelton, that, that transition going from left side to right side was hard on him. Uh, but he's he's adjusted really well. When you feel like you're preparing like a starter, um, the little things that you need to know, like there's always a couple extra things that you miss out on on film study. There's those things that you feel like you need to know, they come out in the play on Saturday. So like those little things that you miss, you'll feel that in the game on Saturday. So I realized that you go, you gotta go a little deeper. You guys knew P.J. Mustafa when he was here. Uh, that's when he had got hurt back in, I think, 2021. 
um, I ended up having to move down to D-Tackle. But learning from him and his, his, like, I used to do staff to practice and do, like, extra strikes and feet work and stuff like that, which which, which helped me out, like, being able to be versatile and go on the outside and do it on the inside. So. I'd like to thank James Franklin for reaching out to me today to talk about stuff. I have great respect for James. I asked a bad question and took my share of heat. Hopefully we all can move on. Corey Geiger on Twitter. So I think that there has been a bit of, I'm not saying they used the first five games to just get better at their base offense, but I think they were dedicated to running their base offense and not getting away from it so that later in the year they can come back and rely upon that because you don't get better at something unless you do it. And uh, this year kind of feels like a turning point for me watching the offense and what they're committed to doing. And that's really given them, I think, a good bit of balance, but that means that you're if you're running one thing, you're not running something else. And we've talked about this before with Brenton Strange. It's not just Brenton Strange, but with their counter game, meaning pulling two players from the backside of the play to a front side of the play in a uh, power gap type scheme. Um, they are not as good at that this year. They, in, in, they implemented it the last couple of weeks, and it had middling results. So what are you working on? What are you good at? And how do you strengthen your weaknesses? So I think like, you know, basic inside zone, man, everyone runs those things. They're supposed to mirror each other and they're supposed to be kind of complimentary. And then it's about what do you do well that you major in and what can you do well as a wrinkle in the run game? And I think that's where I'd start is I don't think that they need to um, change anything. I just think they need to make sure in certain situations they're getting better blocks. And that goes up to what Mike Yersich said in the run game is getting better double teams. I think they've done a good job of that, and they've really emphasized that, but it's about getting to the second level and making a complete, perfect run play. But I'm pleased watching the progress of the offensive line that I think they've done a better job of being more physical up front and creating better opportunities, even if they aren't getting to the second level consistently. If you're getting three, four yards, like the offense is giving the running game at least two yards on every single play, the running backs then have to make something happen, you know, in whatever situation remains, it's then about the offensive line taking that to the next level and the running backs literally taking it to the next level. Okay, T. Frank, you talked about uh, saying you talk about this a lot. Let me give you the one thing that I talk about a lot, which is if you're going to run a read option, one of the options is for the quarterback to pull the ball out and yeah. run it himself. And I get when folks say, Hey, wait a minute. Do you really rather Drew Aller running the ball than Nick Singleton? Mm -hmm. Of course not. However, if that's part of the play and the quarterback is no threat to run the ball, obviously the defense is going to see that tendency and is just going to focus on the running back. Am I right in pointing that out? I recall, I think, one time that Drew Aller actually pulled the ball out and yeah. ran it. My theory is that they could get some easy yards out of Drew yeah. Aller doing that, and they would take some heat off of the running backs if he would show he would do it. And he's a big guy, and they do run him with the ball in other ways. Why not this way? So just because you're right doesn't mean it matters. Uh, and this is, let me... What? <laughs> what? Okay, so like it, if you're outside and it's raining – um, that's just the state that you're in. And if you're complaining that it shouldn't be raining during our picnic, yes, you're right. You should, but like it is.
Welcome back in. Aeneas Hawkins here with my key matchup today for this matchup between Massachusetts and Penn State. I'm going against the grain a little bit here, T. Frank. I've Ooh. talked about the O-line and D-line all year long in these games. Rainy day, Harrison Wallace back from injury, hopefully today, ideally. How do these wide receivers perform in the rain? Can we get them geared up? Obviously, a lot of conversation has been had about explosive plays. you got to look no further than that wide receiver room. Keandre Lambert-Smith, to me, has done a decent job all year long of being that number one option, that favorite target of Drew. Harrison Wallace, you're back from injury. It's time to step up in the rain, make some big plays, and get going, especially before, yet again, the Ohio State matchup where explosive yeah. plays will be necessary to go win. And I love that. It's something I wrote about earlier this week at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. This defense they're going to face this week, um, they've given up 49 explosive plays of 15 yards or more this year. That is more than any other defense in FBS or FCS. So it is right for the taking. Uh, and yes, the middle of the field has been wide open for three weeks when I watch these guys on film. So it's a day that it's a feel-good day. I know that people are fatigued to the end of the world talking about explosive plays, but that could be, depending on what James Franklin and the coaching staff want to do with the weather today, that could be something we see for the first time of really just laying it on thick. Um, and I want to – I love this. We have some smart fans. Yes, we do. Steve was here. He, he was talking to you. You want to show the shirt here on the, I gotta, on the channel? I got to show this. So I got my own podcast, The Lion's Den, and I do it with Nick Dawkins. There's a clip that I'll find eventually. Nick Dawkins thinks he's the Batman of State College. It's completely <laughs> ridiculous. He credits himself for the low crime rates in Center County. It has nothing to do with him. And my friends over here made me a Lion's Den shirt with the Batman on it. And we're going to surprise Doc on the next episode wearing that and embarrass him a little bit. That is phenomenal. Um, so what Steve was talking about with us, he walked over, he's like, so the passing game. They've really not showing anything yet, and and I, I we had a conversation about Trey Wallace and his impact on the offense, and, and not being out there for the last three games. So I wanted to get your perspective. Presumably, he's coming back this week. We've seen him in practice every single week this year. He has not been absent. Has he been more or less pro, uh, participatory? Yes. This last week, he seemed like he was full go. You know, just from our observations, without any information from James Franklin, who doesn't give us those things, uh, as everybody knows. But when, when you look at his impact on the offense, why is it so important to have another a number two guy out there or two receivers, two guys that, that make um, a dynamic passing attack? Yeah, well, we saw when we watched film this week, there are just a lot of different ways that you can take away just one threat with bracket coverages and cover twos and cover fours where you have help over the top. You know, those things are easy to use to take away one receiver. What you typically can't do, though, without putting your defense in a bad position is taking away two guys at the same time with double coverage and things like that. So it's important for Trey Wallace to get going. Ohio State's going to have a plan for either Keandre Lambert-Smith or one of those big tight ends to try to eliminate them. It's important that Penn State establishes another threat consistently. And to be honest, Trey Wallace, since day one on campus, has always provided a bunch of athletic talent. I mean, yeah. you watch him do one-on-ones. The kid is super quick. He's an explosive athlete. There's a viral video of him in the offseason jumping up and touching a 12-foot ceiling. The kid is electric, and it's time for him to grow up and be that number two wide receiver that Penn State needs down the stretch. So kind of to pivot away from that conversation and kind of go back to what we've seen so far, and this is an interesting thing. I was, I was just kind of thinking about this the other day. You have Keandre Lambert-Smith, number one receiver. I think he's proven um, maybe a little bit rocky here and there, but he has been ultra-reliable uh, this year. We've seen in the past Penn State has used other positions to be that number two guy. You know, Chris Godwin, Mike yep. Kosicki. They didn't really – there has not been that same chemistry with the tight ends in Drew Aller. Is there anything you've seen of maybe why that's been uh, the case this year and, and what – 
what is preventing uh, another guy at a different position being a number two threat versus having two receivers on the outside that make up that dynamic uh, between those two players? Yeah, T. Frank, you ask a good question. You know, when I look at the passing game as a whole, I still think that they're doing a lot of different things vertically to try to get more explosive. One thing that I have noticed that is absent this year is that the tight ends have been underneath a lot on a lot of different yeah. route concepts. I haven't seen them really attack the middle of the field with the Theo Johnson, with the Tyler Warren. And those are two guys that are more than capable of being threats down the middle of the field and being big targets for Drew to throw to. To me, it's Penn State just trying to save that for the bigger games down the line, getting those tight ends more involved. Uh, really, you cut on the film now, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren aren't really the threats that you would count for when you look at the offense. Yeah. Uh, one thing that has prohibited the, uh, the development of a number two target is just that wide receiver room still developing. You got a guy like Liam Clifford. Uh, you see uh, Dante Cephas doing some decent things, but none of them have really consistently been that guy in Trey's absence. So I think that's a good opportunity with Trey coming back, not only for Keandre uh, and he to play off of each other, but also to take some of that pressure off the tight ends and allow them to run down the field uh, with a linebacker or safety on So can this offense, and, and not to beat this dead horse even further, but efficiency I think is very important to this offense this year. Yep. So with Trey Wallace back, do you expect the efficiency of, uh, of Drew Aller to – progress back to where it was to start the year certainly certainly Trey Wallace is you know when you look at the wide receiver room is Keandre Lambert Smith is probably your one uh pretty firmly but then after that there's number two to me talent wise and from a, a skill set level is Trey Wallace and then there's a mm -hmm. pretty decent gap in my opinion between that third receiver and Trey uh, so having a receiver of that caliber come back should help Drew be more efficient so th the funny thing is and I know that uh, fans want to see yardage and box score stats, but I think, you know, when we look at Drew Aller and even against Northwestern, his worst game, he was not a negative for the team. He was not bad against Northwestern, but that efficiency we talked about. I don't really have a question for you. I just, like, that's been an observation. Like, Drew has been yeah. good even when he's been bad, so I think the floor and the baseline here for the passing game is very good. It's just, can they be that complete team we started talking about at the top of the show? Can they provide the balance that James Franklin is looking for to win no matter how they need to win? Yeah, and that's the thing. The, the best teams in college football, the truly elite programs, the ones that compete for national champions championships, are the teams that have several different ways to beat you. I think Penn State's defense, obviously, is number one. They can beat you with their defense alone. And then you have a guy like Drew who's not turning the football over. That is a huge plus. All Penn State football has to do in most of the games that they're playing is not turn the football over and let their defense do the rest of the work. You want to go compete with Ohio State, Michigan, and then eventually the Blue Bloods like Georgia in the college football playoff. You yeah. better have multiple ways that you can beat a team if you want to find success. So let's uh, just quickly before we get out of here in this segment, we've talked a lot about the passing attack with the, the skill players. What have you seen from the Penn State offensive line? Uh, because we, we haven't really talked a whole lot about them this, this last two weeks, which honestly – that's a shock when we talk about Penn State football over the last couple of years. Yeah, no doubt. That offensive line to me has taken a step forward, uh, especially when you look at the grand scope of things over the past five, six years. They are a better group. They're doing a good job in pass protection. Phil Troutwine, uh, he deserves a lot of credit because he's taken that group from point A to point B. There are some guys in there who have been starters for a little while and have improved this year. One guy, Caden Wallace, I think has had a better year than he's had in a long time. He's yeah. playing more physical. He's better in pass pro. And it's important that you have a guy like that step up. The one thing with the offensive line that we have to consider is whether it's J.B. Nelson or a guy like Vega, yeah. uh, Nick Dawkins, I have some inside scoop that he's going to get some reps today. He'll be playing. Um, you got to find that guy that's going to step up, yeah. a guy that's going to be consistent both in the run and the pass game because that's the missing piece. I look at that offensive line and Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, they're one block away a lot of times from being more explosive. 
Uh, so with that uh, shuffling of the offensive line, you're saying you, you think it's because James Franklin opened up the Pandora's box when he talked about uh, Caden Wallace going to guard because that's been on the internet, the message boards, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, like to to let you know what goes on behind the scenes. Everyone just goes, Caden Wallace to guard, please. <laughs> And I'd like that conversation is going to get bigger and louder if he does that today. So you're saying uh, James Franklin is going to he's going to make my job a little bit easier. It's going to be more Nick Dawkins on the interior than it's going to be uh, than Caden Wallace. We'll see. We'll see. I okay. will say Caden Wallace. I played against Caden Wallace at guard, yes. and he is a very good guard. He's a big kid. He's physical. I honestly think he could be a better NFL guard than NFL tackle. But yeah. I I do expect you know. With the depth on the offensive line and a lot of guys who could play, you want to get a bunch of them reps in different spots because you don't know who's going to go down. Yeah. We're getting ready to go through the grind of the schedule here with Maryland, with, Mich with Michigan, with Ohio State. You better have a lot of guys who can plug and play at a lot of spots. And one thing that I just want to add that an observation here of in the conversation, the reason it's like it, it's a little exasperating talking about Caden Wallace going to guard is to begin the season, it was the conversation of move him to guard, but you had so much guard depth. Yeah. Um, now you have that you have that challenge for real with uh, both Landon Tangwall, J.B. Nelson. His status is up in the air. We haven't heard anything about that. But I guess I just want to point out one thing. You mentioned Caden Wallace. He's a big physical dude. He's yep. strong. Uh, but Drew Shelton, getting a chance to talk to him this week, it's amazing. James Franklin said he's in the teens, like three teens. Yep. He still looks skinny. Lean. Lean. So, you know, that's good. That is uh, upward projection in his career and his his physical development. But at the same time, like, if you're going into that stretch run, that meat grinder, uh, do you want to put that guy at right tackle as a full-time starter or do you want to have the flexibility to have Caden out there as well? I think that's a part. You have to keep those things in perspective of you may think that uh, Drew Shelton is the next great thing, but is he the next great th thing right now? I, you know, just looking at guys, I, just looking at, just literally looking at them, I kind of think, Caden is the guy unless something happens and it forces your hand. The offensive line position specifically, the closer you get to the football, the more of a man you got to be. You yeah. got to be big. You got to be physical. Caden Wallace has been here for 11 years. Yeah. He's a big kid. I remember my freshman year when Caden Wallace was taking his official visit, and that was like 11 years ago. This kid's <laughs> been around for a while. He's been in the weight room. Uh, he's ready for that moment, and Drew Shelton very well could be the next big thing. He's a yeah. tremendous young talent, obviously plugged in as a freshman last year, and for the most part held his own, but I agree with what you're saying. Caden Wallace is the more ready offensive lineman right now. So we're going to get deep into the philosophical side of football coming up next. We're going to ask him a question that I was asked this week. I, I don't know because I'm not as much. I'm not a man enough to play on the inside because I'm, you know, 5'9". <laughs> I'm not big enough to play on the interior of the offensive line or defensive line. So I need the perspective of somebody who's done it before. We're going to talk about Penn State's style of play this year coming up next. Those long drives. How do they affect the defense and some of those things that go into, I think, the, the broader pictures of football that we talk about. We're going to get some inside information from Aeneas coming up next. That's the On the Penn State Football Tailgate Show brought to you by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships and simulcast on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. So I think that there has been a bit of, I'm not saying they used the first five games to just get better at their base offense, but I think they were dedicated to running their base offense and not getting away from it so that later in the year they can come back and rely upon that because you don't get better at something unless you do it. And uh, this year kind of feels like a turning point for me watching the offense and what they're committed to doing. And that's really given them, I think, a good bit of balance. But that means that you're if you're running one thing, you're not running something else. And we've talked about this before with Brenton Strange. It's not just Brenton Strange, but with their counter game meaning pulling two players from the backside of the play to a front side of the play in a uh, power gap type scheme. Um, 
they are not as good at that this year. They in, in, they implemented it the last couple of weeks, and it had middling results. So what are you working on? What are you good at? And how do you strengthen your weaknesses? So I think like, you know, basic inside zone man, everyone runs those things. They're supposed to mirror each other, and they're supposed to be kind of complementary. And then it's about what do you do well that you major in and what can you do well as a wrinkle in the run game? And I think that's where I'd start is I don't think that they need to um, change anything. I just think they need to make sure in certain situations they're getting better blocks. And that goes up to what Mike Yersich said in the run game is getting better double teams. I think they've done a good job of that and they've really emphasized that, but it's about getting to the second level and making a complete perfect run play. But I'm pleased watching the progress of the offensive line that I think they've done a better job of being more physical up front and creating better opportunities, even if they aren't getting to the second level consistently. If you're getting three, four yards, like the offense is giving the running game at least two yards on every single play, the running backs then have to make something happen, you know, in whatever situation remains. It's then about the offensive line taking that to the next level and the running backs literally taking it to the next level. Okay, T. Frank, you talked about uh, saying you talk about this a lot. Let me give you the one thing that I talk about a lot, which is if you're going to run a read option, one of the options is for the quarterback to pull the ball out and run it himself. And I get when folks say, hey, wait a minute, do you really rather Drew Aller running the ball than Nick Singleton? Mm -hmm. Of course not. However, if that's part of the play, and the quarterback is no threat to run the ball. Obviously, the defense is going to see that tendency and is just going to. It's the end. So I think that there has been a bit of. I'm not saying they used the first five games to just get better at their base offense, but I think they were dedicated to running their base offense and not getting away from it so that later in the year they can come back and rely upon that because you don't get better at something unless you do it. And uh, this year kind of feels like a turning point for me watching the offense and what they're committed to doing. And that's really given them, I think, a good bit of balance. But that means that you're if you're running one thing, you're not running something else. And we've talked about this before with Brenton Strange. It's not just Blaze Alexander family dealerships. Celebrating more than 40 years of service to the community, Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation need. Home with a $1,000 lowest price guarantee with 19 locations throughout Pennsylvania. I'm Thomas Frankar. He is former Penn State defensive tackle Aeneas Hawkins. We are talking about Penn State versus UMass, and really what we're talking about is Penn State here uh, on the tailgate show with uh, the game this week in the rain, in the cold. People are filing into Beaver Stadium right now. Um, And I wanted to ask you something about the Penn State offense that somebody asked me, and I think it's a really smart question because Penn State has been methodical. They have been ruthless on their offensive drives of 10-plus plays. They have been uh, efficient and not making mistakes and scoring, most importantly, scoring touchdowns at the end of those. And then we see at the end of the game maybe against Iowa where they just fully give out. So this is the question from Blackheart, who is a member of the Blue White Illustrated uh, message board at bluewhiteillustrated.com. He says, this is more of a general football question, but also applies to PSU this year. What are the advantages of the offense extending drives and grinding out time of possession, other than the obvious of limiting possessions by the other team? It's always talked about, including in the NFL, uh, that the defense is on the field too much and are getting tired. Why does that not apply to the offense as well? Uh, What a good question. I love that question. It is tiring for a defense 
primarily because when you're on the defensive side of the football, regardless of what position you're playing, you got to go when that ball snapped no matter what. You got to go hard. You got to get in your gaps, and you got to play sound. When you get that run game over and over again, and you're in there taking on double teams up front, or maybe you're stunting, or maybe you're running downfield with a receiver, the defense doesn't know what to expect. An offense – while you may be involved in some of the plays, it may come your direction. Maybe you're running a toss one way or a toss the other way. You don't necessarily play at 100% speed every single play when you're on the offensive side of the football. And you know what you're doing. You know what to expect. You know when you got to turn it up a little bit. And so do the coaches. You can rotate receivers when a guy's gone down the field too many times and he needs a rest. You can rotate offensive linemen every now and then. Mm-hmm. But that time of possession, especially up front, and that's, and that's where you see it most. When a team really runs the football and they grind you out in that run game, most college football teams don't have a 2-3 deep at defensive tackle or a defensive end that they can trust to go in there and stop that run. Right. And that's where teams get exhausted. So we, we've seen that. Uh, we've seen that, uh, I believe, uh, we go back to the Iowa game, maybe even the West Virginia game, talking about Penn State's ability. And they got more explosive plays in that game. But you saw the depth that those other teams didn't have yep. when, uh, when those players – Illinois was the game I was thinking of where they, they – though. By the end of that game, Jazan Newton was exhausted because they couldn't take him off the field. They did not have the depth to play in a Big Ten game against an offensive line like Penn State without giving up some stuff on the interior. Uh, But Penn State seems to have that depth. We talked about defensive end. For sure they have that there. Are you believing in the depth players in this uh, at the defensive tackle to be difference makers um, one through four? Maybe, and, and I don't know if you want to go to five, but are, are those guys all good enough? We talk about kind of the, the depth there. Um, now that we're heading into the test part of the season, do you think those guys are up to snuff? I think they've got a good group. I would like to see one or two more defensive tackles step up. We talked about the top three of Hakeem, Zane, and Devon Lees. I think you feel comfortable with that group. But I also know that there's some talent behind them that I believe needs to step up. J.J. Vandenberg has every record in the weight room. I'm talking about squat, power clean, bench. Yep. He's a strong kid. He's fast. He's athletic. And sometimes it just takes longer for guys for it to click. Uh, yeah. up front and to play consistent. But J.J. Vandenberg is a guy I expect to be able to step up and play. Another guy, Kaziah Izzard, mm-hmm. uh, who is as talented as any of those defensive tackles, he needs to step up and keep getting better. If you have a true five deep at defensive tackle to six deep, you're in a really good place. And just a, a point here, to you talk about those last two guys, Kaziah Izzard, high school defensive end, uh, and Jordan Vandenberg, former defensive end so they've got explosive athletes both those guys are some of the bigger guys Devon aside those are some of the bigger guys they have on the interior and both those guys are 300 or over 300 pounds so uh from from Vandenberg's perspective it's it's not a physical thing you're saying it's more of the technique and making sure he's he's buttoned up what he's supposed to be doing on every place so that all of those athletic traits can come out because as you mentioned Dude's a freak. Yeah, he's, he's insane, and he's a guy that put on a ton of weight when he got on the campus. Uh, I remember actually when he walked in, he was a freshman. I was a senior. He was coming from JUCO, and he looked like a guy who was not anywhere near ready to play at Penn State when you yeah. just looked at him. He is such a hard worker and has really changed his body a lot, and he just needs to get more consistent at being in his gaps, playing fast, because like you said, athletically, uh, from a raw power perspective as well, and his motor at that, he really should be a top two, three defensive tackle on this team right now, and it just takes some guys longer for it to click. So let's talk a little bit about the game today, UMass and, and the Penn State defense. Is this uh, – we're going to talk about our 
our predictions later in the show to end the show. But when you're looking at this defense, uh, is this another shutout? Is this a dominating performance? Do you think that there are enough explosive athletes um, on the other side of the ball where you might get some points from UMass? What do you see in the matchup with these guys, especially on that, uh, you know, in the front seven? Yeah, I mean, shutouts are tough to predict. Uh, anything could happen. Uh, Nick Singleton could fumble a kickoff return. Right. Somebody could, you know, slip on a coverage and the guy gains 40 yards. But I expect to, be, to see this defense be absolutely dominant. Uh, anything more than 10 points by this Massachusetts team, even with the explosive athletes that they do have in some spots, to me is a disappointment. If your Penn State's defense is cold, it's rainy outside, you're being deemed as one of the best in the country, you got to have a sense of pride about you. When you play Massachusetts, it shouldn't even be competitive. Yeah, so the, I just want to bring up a couple of things James Franklin talked about earlier in this week when he talked about this offense. It's really it's – really uh, driven by some of their football players that don't touch the football in every single play. Lynch Adams, the running back, I was I was shocked. I actually had to like refresh and make sure I wasn't looking at the wrong field. He has 44 broken tackles this year. Yep. That is more than the Penn State offense as a whole. So this is a guy that I know you're, you you have games against Auburn, but really you know lower level competition. He's a former Rutgers player. He's been in he's been in football in college for five years. He's seen a lot of football. Uh, maybe like a Trey Potts on their offense. He's a guy that can make some plays, and I think that's an area where if you're looking for where are they going to cause some problems, Penn State's tackling, which we've seen every once in a while, gets a little bit loose. I think that's an area where they might try to attack with that. But then Simpson, uh, the receiver, number eight, he's got 363 yards after the catch. So these guys, what they're trying to do, and the reason James Franklin, one of the reasons I think that James Franklin is impressed with this offense and the offensive coordinator, which he brought up first saying we really like what they're doing, we're impressed with that, is because Tyshawn Fomacon has thrown the football to the other team, um, and the quarterbacks have thrown the football to the other team 12 times so far this year. Only three interceptions from the starting quarterback, but they're putting the ball out there for the other team to take. And these these athlete, these athletes on the outside are the ones that are generating the offense and they're getting them in position. So um, if, if Penn State is uh, playing to stop the run and they're putting these guys in individual situations, I'm not asking you is Kalen King going to let one up, but do, do you think like that's an area where you're interested in uh, of that matchup on the outside between the receivers and uh, and Penn State's DBs, who they have absolutely no problem putting in one-on-one coverage? Yeah, I, I'm interested in it simply because of the elements out here. It's slick. He's a guy that can run after the catch, can go make plays. I think you bring up a great point about tackling, not just with the receivers, but also with that back that you talk about. I'll, t- I'll tell you, as a defensive player, when it, start, it starts to get a little cold, it starts to get a little bit rainy, it's not quite as enticing to go put your head in contact. (laughs) I'll tell you what, tackling hurts when it's warm. When your bones are cold, it's even harder to do. Some guys aren't built for that. So, again, we talk about culture. We talk about toughness. You want to be an elite defense, you got to be able to do any of these elements too. So we are going to get into more of what James Franklin had to say this week in the Coach's Corner. That is coming up next right now on the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Penn State Football Tailgate 2023. We'll be right back. It's the annual homecoming week. Penn State has won 14 out of their last 17 homecoming games. And today, they'll be wearing their Generations of Greatness uniforms for only the sixth time in the last seven seasons. The Nittany Lions will face off against the Minutemen for only the second time in program history. Head coach James Franklin likes what he sees from UMass's offense. We've been impressed with them on offense. They're an 11 personnel, no huddle, spread, heavy, heavy RPO team. 
maybe the most explosive team we've played this year. If you look at them statistically, they're number two in um, in major college football of plays of 50 yards or more. Uh, they're ranked number two in the country. Um, plays of 10 yards or more, they're ranked ninth in the country. So this is an explosive team. And then their quarterback, Tyson Pumachan, is completing almost 66% of his passes uh, and doing some really nice things. So, you know, these guys have got our attention um, and, and specifically on the offensive side of the ball, I think are doing a great job. Penn State also has a pretty high-powered offense. The Nittany Lions are one out of 11 teams in the NCAA to average 40 points per game this season. Quarterback Drew Aller is the only starting quarterback in the Big Ten not to have thrown an interception. James Franklin is impressed from what he sees from his first year starter. He's doing a really good job from a decision-making uh, perspective, from an accuracy perspective, uh, with an understanding of the offense. One of the things I thought was most exciting you know, in the last game was Mike's ability to call shots down the field and if the, if the underneath coverage sinks, taking checkdowns. Um, that's extremely valuable as a play caller when you have a quarterback that will allow you to call shots, not force the ball down the field and take take the back as a check down. And still, I think in some of those create explosive plays. I think the biggest thing is his poise. A lot of times, you know, turnovers go hand in hand with guys that are panicking in the pocket or in decision making. I think he's also shown the ability that when he does get pressure, that he knows where the outlets are, where the running backs are, where the tight ends are. And so as soon as he makes a sudden movement to, to avoid pressure, he's trying to get it to the back. And I think that's, that's really valuable as well. Coach Franklin says that Penn State took the bye week as an opportunity to improve and get healthy. Bye week. Probably number one is self-scout, kind of looking at yourself, um, what you're doing well, what you need to do better, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. But then we also did it across the ball. We had the defense uh, evaluate the offense, the offense evaluate the defense, and then all of us really on special teams. Also that we have a chance to, to recover and get fresh and get healthy for the second half of the year. Um, so kind of a combination of those things. So far into the season, Penn State has struggled establishing a explosive plays, especially in the passing game. The Nittany Lions have only thrown multiple touchdowns in two games this season. Coach Franklin says that's partially due to the team taking what the defense gives. As you guys know, we want to have the ability to run or pass in any game and in any given situation. That's kind of how we view balance and we want to continue to build on that. This game could look very different depending on how they decide to defend us. We could throw it 50 times or we could rush it 50 times. And that's who we want to be offensively. We want to have the ability to, to do what we need to do to win and manage the game. And then on top of that, when you talk about you know the opportunities for, for big plays coming in the run game and the pass game, uh, I, I still believe those are, those are coming. But at the end of the day, we need to do what we need to do to win games and be able to take what the defense is giving. For more on the homecoming game, just keep listening to the Penn State pregame tailgate. Not as though Nick Singleton is taking a bunch of negative yardage plays. Okay. Yep. Uh, these yep. guys, these guys have been efficient with their runs and have put Penn State in pretty good when they've run the ball, 
pretty good down and distance situations, right? They're, they're moving forward. That's, that's a good thing for Nick. The, the problem for Nick is he just hasn't, he hasn't been able to, to find that burst and that hole um, to, to be able to run through and, and pick up the home run, but it's not, I don't see it as problematic. I think the way that, that, you know, a bunch of other people do at this point and Catron's yeah. Catron, right? So assuming yeah. that Catron stays the same uh, and Nick adds that element to his game, right? There's still a fairly clear differential uh, or distinction, I should say, between those two guys and what Trey Potts brings to the table. It's great, it's great to have him as an insurance policy and, yeah. to, and to be able to contribute a- in his way, but yeah, uh, he's not at that level. He's a good running back, and he's going to produce in key situations for this team. But uh, I'm just going to repeat quickly what I said on the Wednesday show. You can go check out the uh, the BWI Live Wednesday show. But putting Trey Potts in the starting, like, let's just go to the extreme. Starting Trey Potts doesn't fix the explosive play problem. He's not an explosive runner. Yep. Fixing the problem of the explosive plays in the run game is getting Nick Singleton and Catron Allen to work through whatever they're going through. Okay, we're going to self-edit. Final question here. Penn State will make... The Big Ten championship game in 2023. Nate, the big question. Will they make it or will they win it? Will they make? Because it's, they're going to go to the Big Ten West. So, like, that's an automatic win at that point. Yeah. I'm being yeah, disrespectful yeah. here, but I'm joking. Yeah, like, it's it's fine. It's fine. There's nothing <laughs> out there. Uh, oh, man. I Look, I still think I still think that they're probably going to... I, and I don't know if, who's seeing this as optimism or pessimism. I think they're going to split Michigan and Ohio state. So to me, it's not about like, Oh, I know you want true or false. Oh man. Okay. I'll go true. I'll go. True. Oh, Sorry. there we go. All right. Now continue, please. Sorry. No, I know you needed, you needed that graphic. Uh, I have a problem with predicting one way or the other, just because I think it's going to come down to a tiebreaker. I think there's going to be something weird, right? Like they're going to cannibalize each other. So yeah. Michigan beats Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State beats Penn State. Penn State beats Michigan, right? Like, so whatever that, however that trapezoid works itself out, mm-hmm. that's not the right word, but it's a love triangle. Saying. But yeah, love I know triangle. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Those there you competent go. Big Ten teams. Yeah. Uh, however, however that works itself out, that, then there's going to be next step down right and down and down and down and i don't i have not taken the time to get familiar with those tiebreakers so i don't know but i I do think that penn state's going to have itself in a a a very good position to uh, certainly be part of that conversation by winning one of those two games i appreciate you giving a true false there because i know that i don't necessarily want to do that and uh Mm -hmm. it's fun We had a good time. I really enjoyed True or False. We're going to have to do this again in the future, so thank you for that. Taking a look around the Big Ten, I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He's former Penn State defensive tackle Inez Hawkins, and uh, let's just cut right to it. Ohio State is up right now 20-0, I believe, over Purdue. Uh, this is a game that Penn State fans are interested in. They're going into this game without a Mecca Abuka, so that is uh, they, they figured some things out on offense. Indiana, Michigan, Michigan, number two team in the country. They are up 14-7 to over Indiana, who I always give credit to Tom Allen. I know that he's gotten a lot of flack for whatever, but if you look at his defense, it is one of the most complicated things I've had to watch on film. 
it's not a surprise it's 14 nothing Indiana, but I think we expect – we'll talk about that in a minute. Michigan State 14-6 to over Rutgers. Some of the games we want to get in, we want to dive right in to the Ohio State game, 20 nothing over Purdue. We were watching film this week. We were maybe taking a look ahead, and that Ohio State offense did not look crisp against uh, Maryland. What were some of the things that you saw uh, on, on film that made you think that the, the, they were not doing – maybe good football things outside of they are very athletic and very talented on the outside. Yeah, well, starting up front, the offensive line doesn't look like a standard Ohio State group. Typically, when I watch them play, they always have a couple tackles who are high level uh, and do a good job of slowing down pressure, but they don't have that this year. What you see a lot from them is a lot of 12 personnel, or at least 11 personnel with Cade Stover attached uh, to that offensive line, typically over that right tackle to help protect them and chip those defensive ends. Uh, To me, it's a sign that that offensive line is struggling. Uh, Another sign of that is the way they roll the pocket pretty consistently. We watched that Maryland game. They were unable to really generate any movement on their defensive tackles over at Maryland, and because of that, they started trying to attack edges more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even there, I didn't think that they were necessarily doing it at a high level. We saw Maryland find some success uh, playing good team defense and pretty much shut that offense down. I look at the quarterback spot. Yeah. Uh, Kyle McCord, he's a kid that I think does a good job protecting the football. He's not going to make a ton of bad decisions, but he's also a kid that doesn't necessarily have the most arm talent. You're not going to see him really pushing down the field uh, with that football. And when he does, and we watched it against the Maryland game, or against Maryland, where there were a lot of opportunities where they could have scored on some of those big throws. They were yep. able to complete maybe, but they, he wasn't able to lead uh, his receivers. So looking at their offense, not super-duper impressed. Uh, obviously, they've buttoned some things up at the start of this game uh, against Purdue, but there are some uh, certain spots that Penn State can exploit defensively. Uh, Kyle McCord, this is what I, I think I've said this previously, but I'll say it right here. Like This is one of the first times you feel like Penn State goes into the game with the advantage at quarterback. Not only is it like-for-like experience, two guys that are young, I believe they're in the same recruiting class, but Drew Aller, again, we've talked about his his ability to avoid mistakes and to do good things and his strong arm. Um, uh, he, he looks like the better quarterback looking at the two on film. Accuracy issues, I think consistent accuracy from Kyle McCord is a problem that he's had. And then, uh, you know, some of the, the throws and the anticipation and seeing the football field, it doesn't feel like he is seeing the field the same way that you see Drew Aller. And, and that comes down to some of the, the, the decisions you don't make. Yep. and some of the decisions he gets put into. Good football player. I don't think either of us think he's a bad football player, but Penn State has a decided advantage, I think, in that particular area of the field. So with the offensive line, I want to go there again. This this system relies on good tackles. Yep. What were your thoughts specifically on the tackles uh, for Ohio State? Yeah, I thought their left tackle was decent. I don't think he's anything special, but their right tackle, number 70, I'm blanking on his name. He struggles athletically. Uh, we watched him in his kick slide. His heels are clicking off of each other for him to continue to push backwards. He struggles with speed. He really struggles with power and inside moves as well. He's not a guy they are going to want to leave one-on-one with a guy like Chopper or Adisa. Uh, they're not naive to that, so I expect to see a guy like Kate Stover in there to help him out or one yep. of those tight ends in there. But realistically, uh, not just the tackle spot, the center spot, uh, some of their guard play really has not been very effective in the run or the pass game. I think that center number 75 can be taken advantage of with either speed or power. We saw him get beat with both multiple times, just not an Ohio State offensive line group you're used to. 
And that leads us back to the conversation we had earlier. That was the foreshadowing of now you've got Chop Robinson and Abdul Carter mugging a center who maybe isn't the strongest guy in the world. And we saw what Iowa had a similar situation. Iowa had almost the exact same situation of their center and their and their uh, tackles weren't exactly what you would expect from those guys historically. And Penn State shut that offense down. I don't think either of us are expecting that. But this matchup, when you look at it, and now that it's almost here, we're talking about it. Uh, you know, coming up next week, it feels like another area where Penn State has an advantage. Yep. You've got you've got a legitimate defensive end, defensive tackle advantage on the offensive line. Uh, you know, in the trenches for Penn State on that side of the ball. So uh, just to give you some of the things that have happened in this game so far. Kyle McCord, 9 of 18 for 133 yards and two touchdowns. So, uh, again, not uh, round 50% completion percentage for him. Hayden, 5 carries, 43 yards. Haven't seen Travion Henderson. Not He's not the leading ball carrier, I should say. I'm just looking at a quick box score. Marvin Harrison Jr. doing what he does. 5 yep. catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown. Devin Brown coming in. 2-yard touchdown run. Um, and I believe Devin Brown, he's the backup quarterback, right? Yes. Yeah, so that interesting wrinkle that they're putting on film. I'm yep. excited to watch that with you coming up this week, see what they're doing on that side of the football. Also, Kate Stover, a four-yard touchdown pass. And uh, Ohio State is dominating this game. So they're looking good coming into the matchup. And, and honestly, like let's let's talk about the, the season picture here for a second. Ohio, Ohio State, what we just talked about, this feels like if Penn, Penn State should win this game is kind of where I'm leaning. Anything can happen, but they need to win that game because I feel like they have a decided matchup-specific thing going on with Ohio State where they can win that game, and then what happens against Michigan happens. And that gives you that afford – it affords you the opportunity to go into that game with less pressure, and it's an attainable uh, solution for Penn State. How how do you feel about, you know, the the matchup – how these games fall on the schedule? Yeah, well, I love Ohio State being what it is. Penn State, I think their schedule has some good balance to it. They've had some competition in a team like Iowa, a team like West Virginia, some big moments where you've had to have guys grow up uh, and play well in big environments like a whiteout, like a season opening game. Um, But what I will say, you know, you talk about this matchup with Penn State and Ohio State. As long as I've been around the Nittany Lions, I can't remember a time we played Ohio State where everybody truly concisely felt after watching film hey, we are certainly the better team. Yeah. We have an yeah. opportunity to go win this game. And obviously you go in there and you compete. And I felt like we had a good shot to go in there and make games good and find a way to win. But now I look at the film. Penn State, they have the, they have the better quarterback. They've got the better defense. and offensive line at Ohio State that's struggling matches up against a Penn State defensive front that has been nothing short of electric all season long. Yeah. To me, like you said, you got to win one of those games, whether it's Ohio State or it's Michigan. You like to go win both of them, but Ohio State is a team right now today that I think Penn State is better than. they got to find a way to get it done. I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the things I was wondering watching this game of, like, you know, as an outside observer, I feel that way. But I imagine, you know, you could drill down to the core of James Franklin, and I don't think you would find anything. He would be resentful of anything you found that said, maybe we don't have the opportunity to win this game, right? So, like, he's going to believe to his core, we can win any game that we step on the field. That's what he needs to be as the head coach. But guys... And people and having a realistic view of things, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up of do you feel like you are the better team or that you should win the game? Not that you can win, but you should win the game. And I feel like, you know, just looking at this game, I, I feel like that's the case for Penn State. And I, I think it's just fascinating that this is the year. One of the reasons why 2023 is so important uh, for Penn State football. 
Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at with Ohio State. I, I shot all of, I shot all of my shots here talking about that. And yeah. uh, I, we got to get back to the game today yeah. and talk about some of the things that we see on the field for Penn State football. So Ohio State has set the tone right now going into halftime. 18 seconds left. They're shutting out Purdue. Uh, and they, they, they are, at least from what the score says, they fixed some of their issues on the offensive side of the ball with some of the cohesiveness, being able to efficiently score in the first half. Penn State, they, that's an issue they've had of scoring in the first half, getting out to slow starts. Both of these offenses have done that. Um, do you need to see that from Penn State today, coming out and being efficient in the first half? Yeah, today is about a couple things to me. Number one is keeping guys healthy. Don't get them hurt. Go out there, execute, win the game. But when I say execute, two things that I think are important are, number one, the penalty battle, but number two, like you said, eliminating foolish mistakes, turnovers, uh, penalties, things of that nature that have cost Penn State, starting slow. Uh, even watching the, the Iowa game a couple weeks ago, watching that first drive on offense, I'm like, what is going on here? You can't start slow when you play in Ohio State, regardless of Penn State matching up well like we do believe they, they have an opportunity yep. to go do. It's going to be a dogfight, and the team that makes the fewest mistakes is going to find a way to win. Yeah, and that, I think that's a really important uh, thing to, to, to bracket what we're talking about here is like none of us are saying that Penn State is going to blow out Ohio State, but they could and should win. But it's entirely possible Kyle McCord's a good quarterback. Marvin Harrison Jr. is an excellent receiver. This is a good Ohio State team that can also contend for the college football playoff. But the point is Penn State, if they play their best, should have the advantage in that game. I, I'm, I'm in a similar situation to you from what I, I would like to see from Penn State today of starting efficient and being – if they're not going to be an explosive team and they're not going to get those deep shots and they don't have a, you know, a guy that is going to command that. And this is to get to the conversation this week. Penn State is not and Drew Aller is not throwing the ball into bad looks there. You know, everything you've seen on social media, some of the things that have been brought up, like those are decisions by the quarterback based on the coverage and the scheme and the player and their ability to get open in that situation. Um, Penn State has not done as much of that this year. They have not thrown the ball deep as much, and I think that's a fair point of the, the balance of that conversation. Do you um, The efficiency, though, from this group, which you talked about earlier, I think that's really important. And then attacking in the middle of the football field intentionally with those tight ends. I think that's an untapped part of this offense, of getting Theo Johnson up the middle of the field. He averaged 17.5 yards a catch last year. Like That is a, an untapped potential in this offense, so they have room to grow and be a better group. Um, with with this particular UMass defense and what they're they're doing here with um, Don Brown is another thing that former Michigan coordinator yep. um, unorthodox stuff up front they'll go three down four down um, on the defensive line how much does that change that for the offense if they've got the ability to be multiple uh, up front. Yeah, being multiple, all, all it really does is it puts the offensive line in a position where they're doing some more guesswork than what they really would be comfortable doing. Uh, when you got a defense who's going to give you a four-down look nearly every time, you kind of know what type of plays to call. You understand your IDs and checks you got to make up front uh, to get a play blocked and get it blocked well. But when you got a guy like Don Brown who is – a guy who I think is a really good defensive coordinator and historically has been, he's going to give you a bunch of different looks. He's no, he's no dummy. He's been around the game for a long time. You come into Beaver Stadium, you know you're outmatched from a talent perspective. What he can do as a great coach is make things tougher on that offense, provide him a lot of different looks, make it tougher for them to get the run game going early on. We're going to come back with our final segment here on the Penn State Football Tailgate Show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He is Aeneas Hawkins. We're talking about Penn State versus UMass and also Ohio State. Coming up next on the Tailgate Show. I don't know. I feel like this is I feel like this is weather aside the weekend where where maybe it does come a little bit easier, right? The the 
everything to this point in the season has been so textbook perfect in a lot of ways, right? The time of possession thing, the complimentary football, all, all of those things have been so like, man, this is how you win football. You can beat anybody by doing it this way. And I, I think that that's good and well, and something that will serve Penn state well down the season, but now it's time to stretch your legs a little bit. Okay. You, you get this chance that there is no risk of losing a game like this at home um, against this quality of an opponent. And so get it going, like yeah. just, just get it going. And so instead of, instead of, you know, six, 10 play plus drives of five minutes or more, okay, work, work on your two minute offense this week, right? Like work, yeah. work it. Cause truly I, I do think that it's uh it, it had been a point. I, I don't know of emphasis, but like, that's, that's something that this, program has wanted to be able to do and hasn't been able to do for years is to have a four minute offense. Yeah. All right. You got that. Check, check that box. You don't need to run it for the entire first and third quarter. What is, what does the one minute offense look like? What, yeah. what does the 32nd offense look like? Uh, and defensively the same deal. I mean, just they're, they're going to do what they do. The defense is, is fine. They're, they're going to do what they do, create yeah. turnovers, uh, all, all of that stuff. But you know, hey, maybe, maybe a, a few short fields that adds to the point total. Go from there. We'll see. Um, so I will say it's been good that they did not hit a lot of explosive plays against Northwestern because people were angry and they were very active in the postgame show. Uh, coming up this T -Frank, weekend. T-Frank, can you put that comment from PSU fan 78 up there? Just about yeah. the chains. Yeah. Just move the chains, get some points. Big plays are not a W is a W. What internet are we living on here? Like, that that's not... Like that's not acceptable to a lot of Penn State fans, and, and including ones that follow the program very closely. Like that, that's not going to work. And T Frank throws his body out as a meat shield after the post game show, and they're five and zero. I mean, like, let's, yeah, let's be honest here. But no, I, I, I we appreciate the comment. I just wanted to, to get that one in. A, a win is a win does not does not suffice against UMass. If I yeah. write that in my post game column, I'm I would be rightfully shredded. Yeah, you, you have to have you have to have some level of higher aspiration than just winning a game like this. That I, like I truly do believe that. Uh, when when James Frank and this goes into every single game that they play. Yes, obviously the win is the most important thing, but there's a reason that James Franklin rattles off all of these differential thing. Right, like they want to hit a certain percentage of explosive plays every game. They want to hit a certain number of turnovers every game takeaways, right? Like those yeah. things are important. And in a game like this, it's magnified because you're, you're not just, uh, you're not just playing the opponent. You're playing yourself as well. And mm -hmm. to be prepared for what's coming, that, that means that it's time, it's time to, uh, to pass the test. I don't know. I feel like this is, I feel like this is weather aside the weekend where, where maybe it does come a little bit easier, right? The, the, everything to this point in the season has been so textbook perfect in a lot of ways, right? The time of possession thing, the complimentary football, all, all of those things have been so like, man, this is how you win football. You can beat anybody by doing it this way. And I, I think that that's good and well and something that will serve Penn State well down the season. But now it's time to stretch your legs a little bit. 
Okay. You, you get this chance that there is no risk of losing a game like this at home um, against this quality of an opponent. And so get it going, like yeah. just, just get it going. And so instead of, instead of, you know, six, 10 play plus drives of five minutes or more. Okay. Work, work on your two minute offense this week, right? Like work, yeah. work it. Cause truly I, I do think that it's uh it, it had been a point. I, I don't know of emphasis, but like, that's, that's something that this I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He is Aeneas Hawkins. We are hanging out outside of the Bryce Jordan center. If you could somebody on the stream, make sure we're still alive. We lost power in the commercial segment. So I had a really interesting three or four minutes there Aeneas, but we are back here. I believe, outside the Bryce Jordan Center. And we're going to get to you our predictions today to end the Penn State football tailgate show presented by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships celebrating more than 40 years of service to the community. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation needs. Home of the $1,000 lowest price guaranteed with 19 locations throughout Pennsylvania. Losi's mustache. That is a legendary username, by the way. I love that. Right? Isn't that amazing? Losi's mustache here on the stream says, we got you, T. Frank. He's also over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Great time to sign up uh, and get all your insider Penn State information, not just from me, but Sean Fitz and, and uh, Nate Bauer, Ryan Snyder, Greg Pickle, a lot of the leading experts and, yep. and industry um, insiders for Penn State football. Let's talk about what you expect today. Do you want to give a prediction and then we'll talk about it? Yeah. I'm going to go 38-7 uh, Penn State over the Minutemen over here. I think it's a rainy day. Uh, there are going to be some things that are going to make it tough offensively for Penn State to find a ton of success early. I also think that Penn State is going to be careful about the plays that they call uh, leading up to that Ohio State game, maybe throwing some different looks in there to show Ohio State some different things to prepare for on film. I think Penn State finds a way to win and hopefully is able to get some of their depth guys some good reps today. So I, I spent more time this week than anyone should uh, watching UMass film, um, and my conclusion was uh, – and I. Again, I, this always said you know, I, I should stop being sad or you know feel bad about it. Like it is what it is. I don't think this is a good football team. I think they have good elements, but I don't think this is a good football team. This is a really bad defense. They don't play with great sound strategy, and they have guys like the middle of the field is open all the time. I yeah. see like they play too high defense. And I talked to James Franklin. Something I learned this year is like they view quarters, which is four guys deep, uh, different than other two high structures. May cover two and cover two variants. They play a lot of cover two variants, so they're not going to have a whole lot of, um, you know, keeping a lid on everything, even though that is part of Don Brown's playbook. They do a little bit of everything. They still do a little bit of the cover one stuff. I just I don't see anything that I look at this team and I go, Delaware did things. They're an FCS team. Delaware did things that prevented Penn State from throwing the ball deep. They had no joke five safeties, corners, yeah. safeties deep. That's like you're not going to whatever you do, you're not throwing the ball deep. Penn State could hang 70 on this team. I th ideal situation, and we don't have that already today with the weather. Just taking a look over at Beaver Stadium, I can barely see the edge of the stadium, and I cannot see anything beyond it. So, like, it is a very cloudy. We are sitting in a cloud, and it's raining. Yep. But Tyshawn Fomacon, he throws the ball to the other team. If he doesn't, the other guy behind him does. I think Carlos Davis might be his name. Yep. They throw they, – they have too much of a propensity for – boom or bust and I don't think they're going to get the boom from Penn State a whole lot I don't think that even in an RPO situation Penn State could give up a 70 yard touchdown maybe once this game but the more likely scenario for me is Penn State's going to force a quarterback that is in an RPO heavy team and James Franklin you heard this in the coach's corner um, they're an RPO heavy team a lot of RPOs what that tells me is the coaching staff doesn't trust the quarterback either 
They're going to create an environment where they're going to get those one-on-ones. That is a, if it's there, you throw it. If not, you give it to the running back and let him do the job. If you're that type of offense against this defense, it's you're, you're backed into a corner. And I just I really think that in that situation, what we see from Penn State is it's going to be a route today. Um, so I don't, I, don't, I don't gamble. I know I look like I could be a bookie from 1920 <laughs> right now. I don't gamble. I've never really gambled on football. But if you're talking about the spread, ideal situations, I would say Penn State could cover the spread against this team. Yeah, and I think you bring up some great points. I, Penn State is just the dominant team here. they got so much talent. I think they're a hungry team right now, homecoming. Even with the weather, they understand the opponent next week, and this is an opportunity for them to go sharpen their tools and their skill set and get ready to go compete for a Big Ten championship. So, you know, I think it could be a blowout, like you said, uh, and hopefully they get it going quickly. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those situations where here's the other part of that is, like, um, you would love to see, as you mentioned, get it go quickly. Maybe they start the third quarter, and then Bo Perbula is a part of the conversation. He gets into this game. And then one thing we haven't talked about, we got a, about a minute left here on the show. Uh, young guys. Are there any young guys you want to see today that get out there and get some experience that we haven't seen or we haven't seen in a while? Yeah, I want to continue to see Caden Saunders, Omari Evans, get them at some receiver spots, get them some looks. Uh, Nick Dawkins is a guy I said is going to play a lot. He's not really a young guy, but in terms of reps played, uh, he can be considered that, I guess. Uh, so there are a bunch of them that I'd like to see. Uh, Kevin Winston is another guy that I want to continue to keep an eye out for. All signs point to him being another dominant safety that Penn State's going to be able to utilize uh, for years to come. So so those are, the, those are definitely my main young guys. That'll do it today for the Penn State Football Tailgate Show brought to you by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He's Aeneas Hawkins. We've had a ton of fun. We will be back with uh, the postgame show coming up afterwards. So don't go anywhere and enjoy the game.